were by mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living, alive, and active. As we look into it, would you convict in a healthy way? Would you help us to know you better and to move in light of that? Amen. So this morning, we're going to be looking at three main things. We're going to be looking at our problem, God's answer, and our response. And so going back to the question I asked a few minutes ago, uh, what is the, biggest, the greatest problem in the world today? Uh, when, when the Times newspaper in London posed this question, G.K. Chesterton, a 20th century English poet, journalist, and theologian, this is how he is, is reported to have responded. Look at that hair. It's totally hipster. He, he wrote <clears throat> in a letter, Dear Sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Drop the mic, walk away. <laughs> right? The greatest problem that the world is facing today is the person we see in the mirror every day. We are the greatest problem in the world today. And so we're going to look at verses 1 to 3 in particular to kind of unpack why that is. So verse 1 tells us, Paul tells us, that we're the problem because we are dead in our sin. And, and, and as I'm preaching or, or, or talking, if, you, if I say something you like, feel free to be like, oh, yeah, or amen, you know? If I say something you don't like, you can talk to Rolly about that later. <laughs> so please feel free to interact or, or, or uh, you know, don't hold back. Okay, so sin, we're dead in our sins. Sin is kind of a churchy word, right? It's kind of hard to, to it's not something you hear all the time. Um, and if you, go, if you go up to someone and you say, hey, are you a sinner? Most times they'll be like, who are you? Uh, but they'd probably be like, nah, I'm not as bad as that person, right? It's interesting, we always choose someone that's worse than us. We don't choose someone that's better than us. Like, yes, I am, look at that person. They're so much better than me. Um, but I think another word I like to use instead of sin is the word imperfect or imperfection. So if you ask someone, are you a sinner? They might say no, or maybe. But if you ask someone, are you imperfect? They will most definitely say yes. And if they say no and they're married, you say talk to, I'm going to ask your spouse, and they will tell me that is a lie. And I thought of an example of, well, if someone says, well, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm that bad. I don't think I'm imperfect. Like, what if all of us had LCD screens on our forehead and every thought, image, and phrase that ran through our brain showed up on there? Like, would we be, would we be okay with that? No. no, Ron's like, no. No, I wouldn't either. Like, my friend told me once, man, like, your brain, that's not a safe place, man. You don't want to go there alone. 
And so I think it's easy to, to see that we are imperfect. Uh, and sin, being imperfect, is imperfectly obeying God's standard and his law. So he lays that out in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, and then Jesus goes and raises the bar in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. So it doesn't matter if we've fallen short once in our life or if we fall short every hour of every day, which is more like me, we're in sin. We're short of perfection. Moving on to verse 3, Paul tells us, not only are we dead in our sins, he tells us that all people are dead in their sins. No one is exempt. We just cover that. So what does is, what is being dead in our sin lead to? And if we look at another letter that Paul writes to a church in Rome, in Romans 6.23, Paul writes, for the wages of sin is death. What we earn as a result of our imperfection is death. And this death is not just a physical death, but this death is a spiritual death. And this affects our relationship with God in dramatic ways. So God, the scriptures say, is perfect in every single way, 100% free of imperfection. The theological word for this is holy. And it's defined as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. If God, since God, is holy and perfect, and we've established that we are sinful and all of us are imperfect, in order for him to maintain his perfection or holiness, he must separate us from him. In physical and spiritual death, which is being separated from God forever, is a result of our sin. So that's our problem. Our problem is we are dead in our sins. All of us are imperfect no matter what we do, and we can't save ourselves. We try really hard, don't we? Every New Year's, oh, you know, resolutions, oh yeah, like I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Um, some of our, our students in the NAVs, like they love working out, and, and some of them are into like bodybuilding and stuff. That's clearly not me. Uh, but I notice how like the gym, as I drive by it, is always really full at the beginning of the year. But I'm guessing by now it's kind of thinned down to what it normally is. Um, and because we're imperfect, everything that we do will be imperfect. And, and the prophet Isaiah, uh, someone that, that spoke on God's behalf to Israel, says this in Isaiah 64, 6. We are all infected and in, <clears throat> excuse me, impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Our very best efforts are nothing but filthy rags compared to a holy and perfect God. The dead people can't save themselves. Like we never see a dead body giving itself CPR, right? It just doesn't happen. It always requires a live person intervening to save them. And this, for me, is what makes Christianity so unique from any other faith in the world. Um, it's the only faith that says, from the very beginning, you can't do it. Um, I, I am Chinese-American. My parents both grew up in China and Taiwan, and so my dad comes from a Buddhist background. And he and I have, some, have, have had some really good conversations about what he believes, 
what I believe, where are the differences, where are the similarities, and this is a point where we don't agree. He feels that, if, that he knows that he's imperfect, but my dad says, hey, you give me enough time, you give me enough uh, of life cycles, I'll get there. And, and I love my dad. I didn't say this to him, but in my head I was like, no, you won't. Like, dad, I know you, I love you, but you are not perfect, and I don't think you're ever going to be. So Christianity is unique. It is the only faith that says you can't do it. There is no eightfold path. There are no five pillars. There are no ten commandments that if we work hard enough or long enough, we can work our way back to Yahweh or to Allah or, or get to nirvana. There is no way. Thanks, Ron. So we're dead in our sins, incapable of saving ourselves. Like, this is bad news. Like, I'm kind of bumming myself out right now, right? Like, oh, man, because I know how wretched I am. Like, it's just not good. Uh, But what I do love is that we have a good God who loved us enough not to leave us in this state of death, but took it upon himself to answer our problem. So that was our problem that we dead in our sin. Now we're going to transition into God's answer, and that's going to be in verses 4 through 10. In the beginning of verse 4, there's this word, but. Right? And so like we're college students, like, ah, 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 I said the word but, that's fine. Let's move past that. However, that word shows a transition is about to happen, a change in thought. And it says that, and it says, but God whose love for us is great and his mercy is rich, did something. And what he did, we see in verse 5. He shows us his love and his mercy by making us alive with Christ. And he did this while we were still dead in our sin. We hadn't cleaned ourselves up. We hadn't you know, gotten 99% of the way there, and God just needed to give us that one little percent. When we were in the, in the depths, at the worst place you can imagine in our sin, God in his grace makes us alive. And I love this word grace. Like our daughter's middle name is Grace. Um, and if you look at the, the word grace in Greek, it's, it's I'm not going to say the thing, you know, it's charis. Uh, that's the, the translation in Greek. And it means unmerited favor. I think the word grace is thrown out a lot. Uh, What I want to do this morning is compare it with some other words to help us understand it better. So grace, unmerited favor. I want to compare it to justice. Justice is getting what you deserve, right? Because of our imperfection, we deserve to be eternally separated from God. God would be just to separate from us and just walk away and leave it there. The next word I want to look at is mercy. Mercy is different than justice. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So God, if he wanted to be merciful, one way to do that would be just decide it's no big deal. He's like that forgiving grandpa that, that, you know, even though he knows the rules, he's going to let you bend them, and he's probably going to give you candy after you should go to bed anyways. He's just nice that way. Um, But there's a problem with that. God said in Romans 6.23 
that the wage, what we earn because of our imperfection, is death. If he ignores that, he's no longer just, and he is an imperfect liar. And he's no longer good. He's no longer God. So where the good news of grace comes in, in God's grace, we see God maintain his justice while extending mercy. And only he could do it. God, knowing that we deserved death because of our sins, loved us. He loved us so well. Church, I want you to know that. He loved us enough to give us the gift of his son, Jesus, who the Bible says was fully God and fully man. So Jesus came down to earth and he lived the perfect life that none of us could live. And he paid, even though he was perfect and he did no wrong, he paid the price for our sins by dying a criminal's death on a cross. If you know the story, we're going to celebrate this in a few months at Easter. The scriptures say that three days later, proving that he was who he said he was, that he was God in flesh, he rose from the grave. Amen. And that through Christ, God is perfectly holy. He maintains his holiness. He maintains his justice. Death was paid. Jesus paid it all on the cross. And he's also graciously loving. For he says, I want you to be my children. And through, and through trusting and having confidence in that, what God has done through Jesus, what Paul calls faith in verse 8, we can be alive. We were dead with no hope of getting out of that on our own. God sends us Jesus, and we are alive. Man, praise God. And, and we get to be restored into a right relationship with him now. It's not just hope for the future. It's that we can have right relationship with God now, and we can have assurance of eternity with him in heaven. And, and, and so talking about faith, the faith that Paul mentions in verse 8, there's a couple things I want to highlight about that. The first thing I want to highlight is that Paul says it's not of ourselves, and it's not by works. We have nothing to boast about in being saved. God has done it all. We just get the privilege of responding have a choice of what we want to do and how we want to respond. Like we said, dead people can't save themselves. And God is not impressed by the things that we do. By saying a prayer or reading your Bible or do, even doing full-time ministry. And about three years ago, Liz and I uh, spent a, good, a number of days with a counselor in Arizona because our marriage was in a pretty rough spot. Liz would not have doubted that I was dead in my sin. Uh, and, and our boss, our navigator director, loved us enough to say, you guys need help. And so you're going, pack your bags. And I thought, yeah, I think we can figure it out. I think I can, I can make this work. And he said, no, you don't have a choice. And praise God for that. Uh, and, and we met with a counselor named Sherry this kind of grandma, kind of maternally, maternal grandma lady, and she was super kind, and she really embraced, you know, and helped me 
and Liz kind of mainly me, because that wasn't the main problem. The first day we were dealing with like all my hurts and wounds. And then the second day came, and uh, they call her the velvet brick. Because she's kind of like nice and fuzzy, but then she's going to brick you. And on the second day, I got bricked. And I remember sitting in, her, in you know, meeting with her, and she said this, this phrase to me that really got me angry. She said, James, I don't think you know God. And I got mad. And I'm not good at hiding anger. Uh, and she said, well, I think it seems like you're angry. And I was like, yeah. You just said I don't know God. And she said, well, tell me many, many things that I do for God. I'm on staff. I memorize scripture. I get time regularly in the word. I lead Bible studies. How dare you say I don't know God? You do a kind velvet brick way. Looked at me and said, yes, James, you do a lot of good things for God. I don't think you know the loving voice of your father. Oh, she was totally right. I got bricked. And, and, and you go against a brick, you lose. <laughs> and the Lord broke me. And he continued to break me. And he is continuing to break me now. Um, boom. Good. Oh, I don't like that you had to do that, Ron, but like, praise God that he was, loved you enough to do that. So maybe we can say, oh yeah, I, I know God. I, I said a prayer. My grandma prayed with me. I walked down an aisle at church. Great. That's a good thing. Maybe you go to church every week. For the weeks that you can't, you know, you listen to the podcast, right? Because you're committed. Cool. Commend you for that, for your efforts. Uh, but none of that saves us. Um, if it was God's grace that saved us, why would we think we wouldn't need it to continue in relationship with him? For those who don't think they need it, grace is offensive and unfair because they think they can do it on their own. For those of us, um, that accurately see our need for grace, that we're dead in our sins and grace is the only way that we can be right with God, it is the best news you'll ever hear and receive. So this faith is not of ourselves, it's not by works, and this faith is also a gift. If you ask my kids like, what the favorite day of the year is, it's either going to be Christmas, their birthday, or Halloween. Right? And the theme that ties all those together is gifts. I would love to say, like, oh, it's celebrating God's goodness in another year, or like celebrating Jesus coming down to earth. I think that's part of it for them. But I, if I'm really honest, and if they're really honest, it's the gifts. They get that look in their eyes on Christmas morning, and we make them wait. Uh, but uh, it's about the gifts. And the thing about a gift is you can't earn a gift. Have you ever had, have you ever given someone a gift and then they try to like pay you for it? It's super offensive. It goes against the entire purpose of giving someone a gift. And when someone gives you a gift or when you give a gift, you have two options. You can either receive it or you can say no and you can reject it. So God's answer to our problem of being dead in our sin was to give us the gift of Jesus. My question for us is, like, how do we respond? 
And to know how to respond, I think we have to ask, uh, we have to start with one question. And the question is, are you dead or are you alive? And if you're here and, and you would say, you know, if I'm really honest, like I don't have a relationship with, with Jesus. Uh, we're so glad you're here. We're honored that you're here. We're praying that God would meet you here today. But I want you to know that you have a loving heavenly father that offers you life today. Will you accept his gift? And having faith in Jesus, taking this gift from God, isn't an overly complicated thing. What we need to do is tell God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect. And I know that no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to get myself perfect enough or even close to that to be in a right relationship with you. And tell him that you want to receive his gift of Jesus and that you want to make him not only your Savior, but also your Lord. That you trust him as your Lord. That you're going to surrender control to him. That's really important. I really like the idea of Jesus saving me. Him having a say in how I spend my time, money, what I do with my life. Mm, not as easy. But we, it must be both. And our God is good. If he gave us Jesus, he's not going to hold back anything from us. And you can pray right now. There's, there's nothing to stop you from taking that gift. Um, or if you'd like, during our reflection time in the prayer corner over here on the left, uh, there'll be, you can pray with someone there. Uh, if and when you make that decision, please tell someone. So tell a friend that you came with. Or if you came by yourself, um, talk to, to Roly, or even talk to me. I'll be, I'll be up here in the front. I would love to talk with you. That is a really exciting thing, and we want to help you walk in your new relationship with Jesus. Um, so what if you say, you know, I do have a relationship with Jesus. I, I am alive because of faith by grace in Christ. Uh, then our response then is to live for him and not ourselves. To be alive is to walk, according to verse 10, walk in the good works which God has prepared in advance. What does that look like? Our response to God's abundant sacrificial love is that we get to obey. Not we have to obey. That's something you would say to your boss or a professor where it doesn't really matter if you want to obey them. You have to, or you're out of the class, or you lose your job. Because God is our loving, perfect Father, we get to obey him. And in 1 John 5, chapter 5, verse 3, it says this, loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And I'm finding that to be true the more and more I know and walk with Jesus. Because he's our gracious, loving, loving Heavenly Father, we can trust that his commands are for our good. And this really highlights something that Tom said two weeks ago, where he said, Christian belief must precede and be the fuel and lifeblood for Christian behavior. So our behavior dictates our belief. I mean, our belief. Woo! 
heresy. Uh, our belief. <laughs> we'll take that out of the, the podcast. Our belief dictates our behavior. Right? We, we can't get that mixed around. Because then it's about trying to be good enough on our own. So if you're alive, do you act like a live person? Do your behaviors reflect your beliefs? Does your, does your life look different than the people around you that don't know Jesus? Not because you or I are any better, but because we are known and loved by good God. Or do we act like dead people? That if somehow a friend or a neighbor or a coworker were to hear that, oh, that, that we're a Christian, they would be really surprised because we look just like anyone else. And maybe people that don't know Jesus, they're actually kinder and more generous than we are. And um, I was thinking about this idea of what do you call something that's alive but is dead? And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in my announcements, but I love watching The Walking Dead. Right? And I was like, a zombie. If, you, if you're alive but dead, you're a zombie. You're this weird hybrid. And, and to break it to you, like, there are no zombies in God's kingdom. You're either dead or you're alive. If you think you're alive, act, uh, I'm sorry, if you think you're alive, but you act like someone that's dead, I'm concerned for you. I would say it is very worth your time to spend time with God and ask him, am I really alive? I would also encourage, if you're like, I don't know if I'm alive or dead, ask someone that knows you well. Okay. I'm going I'm to start wrapping this up. So, our response is to obey. We get to obey his commands. So do we do it? Just very practically. Do we love him and place nothing above him? Career, family, money. That's just scratching the surface of things I struggle with. As Christ followers, do we love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ like Jesus commanded us to do? in John 13, 34, and 35. That we love so extravagantly that when people that don't know Jesus look at how we love one another, their only explanation is, man, that's got to be supernatural. Do we value others because we are rooted in our value and identity in Christ that we're able to put their needs above our own? And in wisdom, Take practical steps to see that happen. As Paul commands us in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4. And one of the things I love about Discovery, the things that, that drew Liz and our family here initially, is, is this heart for discipleship. So if we're alive, are we serious about Christ's command to make disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, often called the Great Commission? Or is that something that's kind of optional for us? And, and that's, you know, that's for the really serious professional Christians. 
And, you know, I'm just good with Jesus. I just need to meet with him. This is a command from our Lord. Our broken world is crying out and thirsting for something to hope in and live for. And I see this every time on Step on Campus. I see this uh, everywhere that I've lived. Like Davis, like we're pretty put together, right? We have lots of, we have more kale than anyone can eat. <laughs> but we are broken and our, our friends and neighbors, whether they know it or not, they are crying out for life. Are we bringing our dead friends and family to the only one who can make them alive? Or do we hold back? Because I'm not really sure how they're going to respond. That's one of the things that we don't talk about, right? Politics, religion, money. And they might say no, or it might be weird. Let's not let that hold us back. Let's live like live people. So if we're not sure what areas we might be living like someone that's dead, even though we're claiming to be alive, and let's ask God to reveal any areas where we're still acting like a dead person. And I can guarantee you, if you ask God to reveal any areas where you're still acting like a dead person, I don't know you, but I can almost, I'm going to guarantee you that God will answer that question. Right? Because he has done it for me every time I've asked. And I'd say, share that with some key people in your life. And if right now you're like, I don't really know if I have any key people like that. I would say a discovery group is a great place to start. Discovery groups are filled with people that know Jesus or are figuring out what they think about Jesus. It's a safe place. So if you don't have people like that, please get connected with the discovery group. And so my goal right now is not to make you feel bad and to walk out like, oh, I'm so horrible. Like, no, that's not my hope. And, and to be honest, like preparing to share this with you, it was, it's been really convicting. And I've really struggled. Um, but I don't want us to miss the fullness of life that God wants to give us. So my, my encouragement to you isn't like, hey, like, you need to try harder and buck up. Because we know that doesn't work. If you tried that before, you know that invariably you can do that for a little bit and you can be like, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to do that one sin over and over again that I keep struggling with. And you might hold out for a while, but eventually if it's on your own efforts, you will fail. God is the source of life. And he is the one who will empower us to start living like live people. Ask him for help and see how he's going to answer because I promise you, you will. And I'll close with this. Killed at 28 on the mission field in South America, Jim Elliott wrote this uh, before that. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This was a man that was alive for God. And he only lived 28 years, but what an impact he has made. Let's spend time passionately pursuing God, fixing our eyes on Jesus so that we can, from personal experience, agree with Jim Elliot and say, amen, amen, a thousand times amen. Jesus has made me alive. Let me pray for us.
Father, thank you that while we were still sinners and dead in our imperfections, you demonstrated your great and unmatched love for us by sending Christ not just to live, but to die for us. Would you help us to take your gift and live as fully alive people? Amen. <clears throat> We're going to enter into our, our time of response right now. And um, I think James has given us quite a bit to think about. I would encourage you during this time to really ask God that question. Am I alive or am I dead? And maybe for some of us, we need God to deliver that brick this morning.